Hello, um, welcome to the Creating Worlds Rice and Kukimru Awards, um, the sessions, which is a virtual series of to celebrate some of the nominees um, and nominated programmes from this year's BAFTA Kimru Awards. Um, I hope everyone's feeling okay on this slightly drizzly, I know it's drizzly where I am. Um, these virtual events are part of BAFTA's learning work to share expertise um, from TV, film and games with audiences far and wide. Um, you can check out more about these sessions at BAFTA.org and BAFTA's social channels for more activities and news. Um, I really want this event to feel relaxed and it's certainly for me a chance to just get to have an informal chat with some of our guests today, but also it's a session for you so you can ask questions. Um, please send them in via the Q&A function on Zoom. Um, and finally, I would really love to introduce to you some of our um, nominated uh, speakers. And so if we can start by introducing to you, Hannah Jarman. Um, Hannah, are you there? Hello. Hi, Hannah. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to just introduce everyone to you and the, some of the amazing things that you've been up to <laughs> get started. So, Hannah, you're nominated for the uh, Mechred Pachas um, series, on which is uh, a series I found on YouTube, but I know that is on uh, S4C as well. Um, Hannah is an actor and director and writer who trained at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama um, and a founding member and associate of Not Too Tame Theatre Company. And you've been recently participating in a few directing schemes with Kimru Films and Kimru Wales and Arts Council Wales. Um, you're also having created and co-wrote Mekre um, Pachras with um, your very good friend, I think, and, and you know, partner in crime, Mary yes. Beard. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk more about it, but I'm just, I yeah, I can't wait to talk about this series because it's a short form bilingual series um, about a true crime obsessed Cardiff millennial. I mean, what's not to love, right? <laughs> um, and you, of course, Hannah, play the lead, Karis, mm. um, and the series is available now on S4C, click. So if anyone wants to find out more about that, then they can definitely get, I, I love it. But like I say, more of that to come later. And um, if I could just introduce your partner in crime, <laughs> Mary Bid. Uh, Mary, are you there? Hi, Mary, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Um, so you're nominated alongside Hannah, um, which is very exciting. So Han um, Mary, you're an actor and a writer and a director as well, originally from Aberystwyth. Yeah. Um, and since graduating, your career has actually seen you act on TV, stage and radio, as well as writing and directing your own things as well. Um, I know that last year you performed on stage and this was all in a theatre show um, that was also written and starring the author Lewis Owen and is 
is it due to appear in the Sherman Theatre production of The Ugly Duckling this Christmas oh, as well? Already did it. Last wow, Christmas. okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, you're also featured in successful BBC Radio Wales comedy Foiled, which was written by Beth Granfield and David Charles. So welcome to our chat and it's so lovely to see both of you. I am, as I said, I'm quite enthused about this series, so I really can't wait to talk to you about it. Um, yeah. Next we have Kaylee Llewellyn. Kaylee, you there? Hello, Hello. Kaylee. Hi, yeah. Kaylee. Hi, nice yeah. to see you. Um, you're nominated for In My Skin. Um, Kaylee's a writer and creator and exec producer of Double BAFTA award-winning In My Skin, which is um, what was nominated in this category as well as the writer. Like you've been, not, you're nominated in a few categories, right? Uh, this time round, we're nominated um, best drama, best writer, best actress, best director. Right. Okay. So there's that's a few. <laughs> <laughs> you're also currently writing on the series four of Killing Eve. Um, as well as Chloe, which is a new BBC One drama with Alice Seabright, who was part of the Sex Education. Is that right? Yeah, she directed Sex Education, yeah. And alongside this, well, I mean, you're... <laughs> um, Kaylee has been named as a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit for 2019 and it's also broadcast hotshots. Um, a BFI flair mentee and the recipient of the BAFTA Rothcliffe New Comedy Writing Award. Um, so there's a lot for us to get into, but congratulations on your nomination as well, Kaylee. Um, and last, but in no way, <laughs> anyway, least, the what we let me introduce you to the wonderful Russell T. Davis. Russell, are you with us? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Hiya. Hi, Russell. How are you? Thanks. Hello, everyone. Hiya. Um, Russell, you're Hello. nominated for years and years. Um, uh, I mean, the introduction doesn't need to happen. I don't know, but I'm a super fan. So it's so great to speak to you. Um, Russell T Davis was awarded the 2006 Dennis Potter Award at BAFTA for his writing services to television and an OBE in the Queen's 2008 birthday honours list for services to drama. Um, you were born in Swansea um, and a graduate of, of Oxford University and more recently, in 2015, you awarded the Writers Guild of Great Britain Award. And in 2017, you were awarded the Outstanding Achievement Award at the Edinburgh TV Festival. And in 2019, was awarded the H11 Award for the television broadcast category. It's a bit like my funeral, though. I know, I, I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, you know, like just... would be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, so, well, first of all, congratulations to all of you for your nominations. I mean, it's, you know, in this particular time that we're in, um, it, it, it's nice to find things to celebrate as far as I'm concerned, you know, and this is for all of you for different, in different ways, you've kind of been producing work that even in this moment, as people are getting to know your work or have known your work for a long time, it's still all feeling really fresh. You know, that's what I 
kind of love about all all the shows. Um, but before we move on, we have got one writer who couldn't be with us tonight, and that's Alan Harris, who is nominated for The Left Behind. Um, of course, it would have been great to have Alan here, but we do know one bit of information, which is to wish Alan a happy birthday from all of us on this on this call. Um, and yeah, see you soon. See you another time, Alan. Um, so, I mean, is, can we crack on? I feel like I'm ready to start asking some questions to dig deeper into the work that you all do in a way. Um, and for me, the first question was, I'm always interested in what gets us to where we are as creatives and as storytellers. And so um, what was the first thing you watched on screen that made you want to become a screenwriter or storyteller? If I start with Kaylee. Um, um, I think my very earliest memories are of watching the kind of like female titans of comedy. I used to watch French and Saunders um, on TV when I was tiny and just think, God, they're having so much fun. And, and then I started watching Victoria Wood, um, things like Dinner Ladies and I remember really marveling at her use of um, individual turns of phrase, you know, like she she has such a good ear. And, and I think to a degree, she just invents these sort of like funny sayings and peculiar vernaculars. And I found them so delicious. I just thought, isn't that so clever and funny? Um, and it, it just really like in, ensnared me from very early on. I just thought, what fun, and I want a piece of that. Amazing, I mean, it's, yeah, I think she probably features in quite a few of our lists um, in terms of that. Something that felt so different from anything you'd ever seen. Um, Russell, can I ask you the same thing? Yeah, what, was the, what was the first thing? I mean, I grew up, I kind of watched everything. And I think Doctor Who was a very, I was watching Doctor Who years old so that was kind of hardwired into my brain but I think when I was about 13 14 television hit this patch where we had in a couple of years we had I Claudius and we had Pennies from Heaven by Dennis Potter and that was like they were and so I was watching those kind of 12 13 14 years old and they were so strong and so extraordinary it's like it's like you could smell them rising off the screen and I always think Pennies from Heaven was a pivotal moment because in Pennies from Heaven there was a scene which was decried enormously in the tabloid. But there's a scene where Bob Hoskins' wife, Gemma Craven, puts lipstick on her nipples in order to entice him, in order to uh, make their marriage work. Now this, there was such a fuss about this. Woman puts her nip, um, lipstick on her nipples on BBC One and banned this programme. It was in the headlines of the papers. And then you saw the scene on television and it was the most intimate and sad and brilliant and beautiful scene. It wasn't titillating in there, it was a dying marriage with some a woman desperately doing anything and, and full of her own shame and his shame, etc. And it was one of those moments where you kind of thought, there's like the public perception of a drama and there's what the actual drama is and what the actual drama was was so brilliant and so beautiful that I can't exactly say, I thought, I'm going to write. I'm going to write stuff like that. But it's kind of what, I could see my mind starting to move towards the script then, as opposed to 
the people sitting at home. So that was, I mean, if you watch that now, it's an amazing drama by one of our greatest writers ever. So yeah, that was kind of pivotal. That's a, yeah, that's a perfect example of something that sh you kind of imagine is one thing and it's just full of all those hum that humanness, isn't it? That, that humanness that we, you actually kind of is a, mag is, is a magic between writer, performer and moment. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Hannah, can you remember your, the first time you looked, you watched something and thought, yeah, this is, this is what yeah. I want to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm from an acting background, so I think um, I wanted to be on the telly more when I was younger. Um, but um, I think I'm a huge admirer of um, Shuan Jones's work. Um, and I think my most vivid memory is um, a programme called Tai Hai, which is Three Sisters, and seeing these sort of three um, strong, fabulous, flawed women in Welsh. Um, it felt really ahead of its time. Um, and I think she just keeps writing such fantastic um, characters. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the one that I would choose. And Mary, do, do, you, have that, do you have that memory, that particular, that particular moment, that particular show? I don't have that sort of genus moment of watching a program going, that's the one. It's more of a collection of things really. When I was growing up, I watched a lot of comedies with my dad. Um, so things like Bottom and The Young Ones, um, Father Ted, all of those things were really sort of influential in what I wanted to do later on in life and maybe bring some comedy um, into everything I did. Um, but Hannah actually mentioned something that I was gonna mention, which was Tair Khoir, which I remember watching when I was very young. And like Hannah said, seeing, these three, you know, female protagonists in the Welsh language, something that hadn't really happened before. And I remember feeling quite excited watching it and, and seeing, you know, maybe the female representation, especially in the Welsh language that we hadn't seen before. And yeah, I think that was um, pretty influential on me as well, Han. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. That's, yeah, there's some really interesting thoughts in there about what gets us to that place of seeing ourselves as creators, isn't it? Like storytellers. Um, I suppose my, having watched all the nominated films that you're all responsible for, um, one of the things that I really noticed was there was a real, um, I think there was a real generosity and a real kind of need within all the stories to tell something about the younger generation and um, and I guess I'm interested in for all of you as as storytellers, as filmmakers, what what you think that need, where that need might be coming from, and and I suppose more importantly, what what are the nuances of telling those stories of the younger generation of young people, and it feels it feels it would be great to start with you, Kaylee, just because in my skin really got under my skin because it, like so many shows, you know, the, those intimate moments are from being young, and I'm not talking about kind of sexual stuff, it's the moments between friends, the moments in family, the moments, you know, where you, where you find connection. I mean, the show is full of that. So 
what what is that what is that voice about and what's where are those young characters coming from for you mm -hmm. um i think i'm drawn to writing that sort of age group because there's like a slogan that we use in stonewall and lgbtq people where we say to young gay people it gets better and it does get better but i think what that doesn't account for is those things that happen to us at that age it's such a pivotal age and it they stay with us um, and they go on to influence potentially the rest of your life if you if you never um, find a way to process them. And for me, I, I was I was living my adolescence with such deep shame around my mum's mental health issues and my father's addiction issues and, and the fact that we were benefit class and my other friends had nice stuff and we didn't. Um, and you know, you, you go into adulthood and you, you go to therapy and you, you learn that you're bigger than those things, but somewhere deep down, they stay with you. There's still somewhere this sense of shame deep below the surface. Um, and so I, I was just really, I, I am always fascinated by, you know, a, any program or book or whatever that explores the time when those emotions first get planted, when the seeds first get sown. Um, I, I just, it's such a like hormonal, messy, uh, emotional time. Um, and I think the other thing is that we all watch coming of age stories and we immediately are transported back there because adolescence was awful for all of us. So we all have this like shared nostalgia um, when we relive it together. So yeah, I, I was just, I'm, I'm drawn to that anyway. And then you know, on a personal level, when I was growing up, I would have given anything to have watched a show where someone was going through what I was living. I think we sort of can sometimes underestimate the power of TV to make us feel less alone. And I really think a show that had dealt with mental health in that way would have changed things for me. So the prospect of being able to maybe do that for a younger generation was really appealing. Yeah, there's definitely something about what you would have wanted yourself, isn't there? That, um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'd love to hear from Mary as well, what what those, I mean, it's slightly different. I feel like the characters, your stories are slightly older, but there's also not old enough, not for those memories not to be really crystal, you know, for, the, for that, those lives, not those younger lives of theirs not to be really crystal. And I think that sometimes, they do fall back into into adolescence, yeah. Into adolescence, which is which you know, which is quite interesting. So, it'd be great to hear more about how, like, what how you find those nuances when you're talking about such young lives. Well, one of the reasons that Hannah and I wanted to write Merchapachis in the first place was because we wanted to write something that showed our experience, um, and we didn't. Not that there was nothing on S4C that reflected that, but we didn't really see ourselves. Um, so we, we decided that we wanted to write characters that were like ourselves. I was much younger at the time. <laughs> so we wrote um, uh, young women that were, and, and men that were in their sort of late twenties, which was quite a difficult time, I think for me, because 30 um, uh, is coming up towards you and you think, right, I need to get my life together your 20s is there you're supposed to have fun um but i think the the 
pressure of uh, social media um, and sort of even from, you know, parents and your peers, um, you see people settling down, you see people getting married. And if you're floating when you're in your late 20s, it feels, it's, it's almost that same feeling that you had in your adolescence where I should be better than this. I shouldn't be going through this. I'm completely alone in this. And that's something I think that we wanted to write into our characters and into the series itself. Right. Would you, does any of that resonate with you as well, Hannah, like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Mary put it really well. I think we just wanted to um, show a certain type of person who is so focused on showing the world that she's got it together and deep down she's, she doesn't. And what does it even mean, I think, is what we, the point we were trying to make. It doesn't really matter. And the pressure that we put... Um, because Merched Parches means respectable girls, and I think in, in sort of Welsh language society especially, we have to kind of be, feel like we have to be a certain way and, you know, go to the Eisteddfod and do proper things, not, you know, swear and have sex and take drugs. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not allowed. No. <laughs> Russell, I, I guess that's, you know, coming to years and years um all the characters feel so overwhelmingly uh 3d you know um but the younger characters you know they sort of kind of sit in a bubble in the story all of their own they're taking on something else and i mean was, what was your thinking in creating those younger teenage characters? It's kind of, it's kind of what Kayleigh was saying and, and everyone was saying that, I mean, life is just more vivid then. You feel things for the first time. It's going to make a better drama. For example, it's interesting that Kayleigh didn't, uh, it, it, drama wouldn't have been as good if it was the mother's story. It had to be the daughter's story because the mother's kind of, the time we get older, everything just gets, I haven't had an emotion for about 20 years. You can hold a gun to my head. <laughs> Oh, we just get old and crusty and so the younger characters but funny enough i thought the other day i was talking to a young filmmaker and i thought actually i got years and years wrong there's a much better version of all those characters the younger characters the lead characters so there's a daughter who's trying to be transhuman and fusing with technology what if she'd been the lead and what if um the young the gay character falling in love with a refugee had been like 18 and what if there's jessica Hines' character was like 35 and a, and a radical activist, what if she'd been like 20? And then there's the buttoned up brother who's more conservative, what if he'd been 21? And suddenly I kind of realized I got the entire show wrong. That would be brilliant. Because actually I wrote about a bunch of middle-aged people and I, and I did that because I'm middle-aged. So I wrote about a bunch of middle-aged people around whom the world is changing and they're obstinately trying to stay the same was maybe I should really have done a story about young people fighting to make the future what they wanted to be. So. There we go. A bit late to realise now. I'm glad the voting's in. Too late. <laughs> it's real. I really mean that. I must have been funny. I can't. Well, as a middle-aged person, not... I'm I'm with you. I'm still I'm still sticking to your original idea, if that's okay. <laughs> um, I mean it though. I, I really would rewrite it though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just to dig into uh, years and years a little bit more <laughs> for a second. Um, now, obviously, I mean, I remember watching it the first time round 
and it feeling some of it feeling very very uncomfortable in its in its resonance to the now and some of it feeling less you know less uncomfortable when you look into the future you go well this is just the writer doing what writers do like watching it again <laughs> now um it feels almost prophetic i mean it's crazy because some of the some of the themes that we are living through in the now you know and have lived through for a long time whether that's the ghettoizing of of people or now not being allowed out and the financial crisis that is happening moments by moments and we know will happen um were you looking into the future when you wrote it? It sounds like a ridiculous question. Yeah. You're, I'm not claiming you're a psychic, Russell. Yeah, but, I mean, I just think the world is so mad now. I could have written anything and it would come true. I'd write a flying dog and look out that window and one will fly past. It's like, genuinely, it's like, you know, there's a kind of Donald Trump, Boris Johnson character in it played by Emma Thompson. I would never have imagined writing her getting a killer disease going into hospital in a helicopter, claiming she's now immune and, and immaculately reborn and going into a lab. You wouldn't dare write the bollocks that's happening these days. It's like, I remember round about when we were making it, Donald Trump stood in that gold room surrounded by a thousand hamburgers for some winning team. And I just, this is so out of control. The world is radically out of control. So I just threw a lot of stuff at the wall and some of it happened to stick because everything is happening. We're not just having one. Remember now, what did we what did we talk about before 2008? What was on the news? Half a percent rise in interest rates. So we all go, oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Now it's like it's like being hit by by by. It's like Bugsy Malone with those scatter guns, those custard guns, just hitting everyone all the time. It's nuts. It's like Dukakis. It's just dreadful. So um, I just got lucky once or twice. That's all. I wish I could predict this because I would have predicted. I get a rocket out of you, I go to the moon. <laughs> I, I feel like it was more than luck because I was watching years and years like this man has got a crystal ball. This all feels so tangible. And the, the banks crashing was like, that's coming, isn't it? That's going to happen. We're, we're going to have a major bank go down. It's like when someone like Barclays or someone like Nat West goes down, we will, we will be destroyed. We don't know. We don't know the half of it yet. Oh, God. Yeah. What a world. I, I, I think that's what, I mean, I kind of need you to write the second half of this, whatever this is, Russell. <laughs> we don't think that. <laughs> yes. Um, and in a similar way, Kaylee, I, I am quite interested to dig a little deeper into uh, the series um, in my skin. I felt, like I said, kind of with young stories, we we have these stories, you know, more and more people are coming through and they're telling the truth of their own existence, but also being less afraid to put this stuff in, in books and in front of the camera. But the way in which mental health is handled in that series feels very particular. And it might be because it, of your own personal relationship to those to those things but I just wanted to kind of I wanted to dig deeper into what did you have a particular thing that you wanted to say about mental health when you started writing it yeah um 
I like Trojan horse telly, where it's clear the writer has something they want to say, but they wrap it up in something that can also make you laugh so that you don't feel like you're sitting down to homework. I like watching that. Um, and so I wanted to try and write something like that. And, I, you know, things that affected my life that I now feel is my duty to write about is domestic violence and mental health. But if you go and pitch the, the big drama about domestic violence and mental health, everyone's like, can we hack it right now? And the truth is we probably can't hack it right now. So it's, um, I, I felt very passionately that I wanted to talk about that, but find a way in that uh, was a little bit lighter perhaps. And I also just think this is on a completely personal level as a creator. My journey from, you know, the time I'm depicting in that show is someone who's so ashamed of who they are that they tell lies all the time. If you're going to write the ending to that story, you go, and then she finds the ability to finally be honest and she writes a TV show about it and exposes absolutely everything. So that's been my kind of personal journey from hiding in the shadows to standing in a spotlight nude. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm literally speechless by that phrase, partly because it suddenly brought me out in a cold, I don't know why it's just like oh god I know that feeling so well sorry that was a very visceral image there but yes it was you get what I mean <laughs> um and and you know I think there's something in the connection between and maybe I'll ask um Russell I'll ask you this first um would you describe years and years as a dystopian series? Oh, um, I suppose Peter, we kind of knew people would. Um, when we launched that show, we were begging journalists, like, don't say dystopia, don't say dystopia, because it sounds so boring. And it sounds like zombies are coming over the hill, although actually that might have been more entertaining in the end. Maybe I should have done that. But um, I mean, we'll, who says, who's busy at work and you go, oh, I must go home and watch that dystopian drama? Family drama is, is what we tried to sell it as, although it was actually kind of dystopian, so that's the tricky thing. But um, I don't know. Um, I mean, it certainly, it certainly missed an audience. It had the worst viewing figures in the world. In the world. It was the biggest failure. So um, and we, to this day, we all sit there going, what went wrong there? And maybe it was just rubbish. But, but you know, it literally, I think, I think, I, I kind of think these days after a terrible day of 24-hour news, you don't want to kind of go home and watch a drama that looks like the news, uh, especially these days. So, um, so I wouldn't call it dystopian because I think that's only going to push people away further. And it was more full of hope than that as well. I think it was more. I think it was kind of. I'd like to think it was subtler than a dystopian drama. Do you think? Well, I mean, uh, oh, so I'm sorry. being controversial. Sorry, who's? I'm being controversial in saying that um, because yeah, I. Yeah, these like because it's funny, Kaylee, when you were talking there. When we're talking about in my skin here, is it a dystopian drama? Is that a mental health drama? I mean, a mental health drama doesn't sum up how funny your show is. It's absolutely hilarious in my skin. And because it's so full of life and joy and optimism, the way you never let that. So these, these log lines are hard, aren't they? Yeah. And I was going to say about dystopian for your show doesn't feel quite right because dystopian, I feel like as a title, almost brings with it a sort of um, 
cushion, like a comfort blanket that says, oh, that'll be frightening, but it's really far away. Whereas your show, Tread a Line, where it is slightly in the future, but it's it could be next week. That doesn't, and dystopian doesn't feel quite, it, your show felt more raw and present because it was like, this is, to, this is tomorrow. This is- Actually, it's about now. That's the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty thirty-five, whatever that's like. It's about now, and here, as you said, here it is happening. The rise of populism. I mean, um, how much? I'm literally living in fear of November the third. Like people must have hidden from the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like people must have felt in the darkest days of World War Two. And I know I've got a nice, comfortable life, but I am in fear of that day. Our entire world could begin coming to an end if that election goes the wrong way. Terrifying days. Now. Yeah, I mean, and and you both have kind of led us to why I was bit being quite sort of bold and confrontational and calling it dystopian, and 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 because we, I suppose when when you create stories, you're looking for, you're looking for the heart of the thing you're trying to say, but what the audience are looking for in that work is something completely different, and I think sometimes. It is hard to write about mental health <laughs> or write about what the future might look like if we're not just singing and dancing in the streets. Oh. Say through your work. Oh, Chino, you froze then for a second. Did it freeze for me? Oh, I'm back. Is there, can everyone see me? Yeah, great. So, um, so yeah, I'm just interested, and I'm particularly, I suppose I'm moving the conversation on in terms of audiences and what that, because for example, for Hannah and Marie, I'm very interested in that YouTube audience and that online audience and how, why they're particular, like what's the relationship between what you're making and that audience? and how much they influence what you make. Um, I think I think with Merche Pachis, we always knew that um, all eight 15 minute episodes would be released all at the same time. So we kind of knew that it was, the intention was for you to binge it, or if you wanted to just watch an episode on the bus to the way to, on the way to work, you could do that. Or if you wanted to watch four episodes in a row. And I think, I think more and more now audiences are doing that. We, we all have one of these, which is, you know, better than my television. Um, so I think that's what was exciting for us is that you could either watch it as a two hour thing or in that kind of bite-sized uh, format as well. Mary, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, it's it's it was an interesting um, way of working, I think, trying to fit a full story into those eight, 15 minutes sort of bite sized. And we try to sort of work work around it. And it is one of those things that there a lot of people have short attention spans. I mean, I do. I watch TikTok <laughs> all the time, which are maximum 60 seconds, flip to the next one, flip to the next one. And that kind of um, <laughs> sort of loss of, a, of attention span is something that I think that I can relate to. So making it 15 minutes, it's only 15 minutes, I can watch the next one or I can carry on. So yeah, that's one of the 
other things, I think. But did you find, do you mind about, is that a younger audience, Hannah, Barry? Is that, is that right? Well, for us, really. I mean, for, for myself, that's why, that's why I, that's why we wrote it, yeah. And I think the platform that it needed to exist within S4C, it was to hit a certain demographic that um, maybe, it, maybe it wasn't like, they were making less programs for that age, um, which happened to be me and Mary's age. Um, so I think it was just kind of going, getting into a market and an audience that maybe Welsh language content or bilingual content wasn't um, reaching. And I think that was really important for us. Yeah, that's really interesting about the bilingual thing. I didn't actually, yeah, it's, yeah, of course, because I'm mad about languages. So even watching it, I could feel my brain going, you need to learn, this is great. This, you know, there was something <laughs> exciting. I, you know, I, I watch a lot of foreign films. I'm just very fascinated by that thing that telling stories without needing, you know, without us all needing to be speaking the same language, et cetera, and what that feels like. And I suppose before we move away from talking about your work specifically, um, I'm, I'm really interested for, from all of you, just a little bit about what it means to be writing as a Welsh writer, as, you know, making work like, what excites you about that? If we could start with Kaylee. I keep swearing that I'm going to set a show not in Wales, and then I never do it. <laughs> um, partly because shooting in Wales is, it rains all the time. When I'm on set, I, like we, in my skin, we had so many, we sh shot outside most of the time, it's sort of five week shoot, and it rained every single day. And like week three, I was like, that's it. The next one's in London. And Wales, that's on you. You've brought that on yourself. I can't hack this. Um, but the fact is I get drawn back time and time again. There's, um, coming back to what I was saying about Victoria Wood and her use of vernacular, I realized that I write dialogue for the music of the Welsh accent and not just the Welsh accent, but the turn of phrase. And it was really highlighted yeah, on, the, on the whole, we, we wanted to cast in my skin with a, um, a fully Welsh um, cast where we could, but you know, there's a few occasions where we couldn't find certain characters. So we, we'd open up auditions to English people and they'd come in and read the script and I and, and the other people on the team who were English would go, that sounded weird, didn't it? And you realize that it's not written for their voice. Um, and I hear this sounds wanky, but... <laughs> When I'm writing dialogue, it feels like music. I'm listening to the patter and the rhythm. And um, I suppose that's in my blood. And the, and the people that I'm writing about, you know, I'm mostly writing autobiographical personal stories and, and I want to tell my Nana's story. I don't want to tell any older woman's story. I'm telling my Nana's story. And that is unique to where she came from. You know, the same from my mum. And it just feels like it's in my blood. And I, I feel so, proud and pleased to, to be from Wales and to be making content set in Wales, populated with Welsh people. Amazing, thank you. Um, Mary, could you share yeah. any of that? Well, um, 
I live in Wales. I speak Welsh. All of my friends pretty much are Welsh. So it's a matter of writing what I know, uh, what we know and what we experience. So um, I, I, <laughs> it's strange because I don't see myself as a Welsh writer, but of course I am. <laughs> um, I see myself as a writer of my life um, and just, just happens to be in Wales, you know. <laughs> Anna? Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, it was really important for us with this that it wasn't going to get filmed back to back, like a Welsh version and an English version. It was really important for it to represent uh, our life. I'm from Cardiff. I was brought up in Cardiff and I went to a Welsh school and I speak Welsh every day. Maybe not with everyone that I come into contact with, but it's, you know, it's a multicultural cities that are like, there's a lot of languages happening and Welsh happens to be one of them. I think, um, and of course, I'm going to want to contribute to a culture that I'm proud to be a part of. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's so important. I think it was important, especially with the way that we wrote the language to sort of um, express how we, we speak. So it's not just all Welsh and it's not just all English. And we did want to try and weave that in, in the way that we would speak. So when we would write something, it's like, would we say it like that? Or would we say it like this? So um, trying to get a, a different, because on S4C, everything's quite structured and it's a lot of formal Welsh. Um, so having something that we wrote that how we speak was very important to us. Yeah. and it. it just it really I don't know it just makes it just makes it stand out and I just love I, I haven't quite got to the end but I'm literally that's all I'm doing now. <laughs> um, Russell can I ask you the same thing does yeah I think it's do you know what I do you know what drives me mad now and there's a couple of very high profile examples recently and I won't name them when they cast non-Welsh actors in Welsh parts I literally now write to the broadcaster and and on one of those examples, I've got them to confess they made an absolute mistake in doing it. I won't name names because that's kind of unprofessional, but it's just, mm. you can't do it anymore. And, it, and it's always badly done. If it was well done, all right then, but it's, it's shocking. And I think this whole thing is kind of proving that there's more investment. It's interesting how, if I was asking about the YouTube audience for Hannah and Mary, and like, and In My Skin should prime time BBC One. And it's because it's about, you know, we simply need more investment to tell Welsh stories. A writer came to me recently with a very good script about the Rebecca Riots, which was fascinating. I didn't know anything. I, I thought I knew about them. Amazing stuff. Men dressed up as women to riot. Astonishing story in Wales. And um, what we looked at, and I said, I don't know where you're going to get money to make this Welsh series. If this was in London, fine, it'd be on Netflix. But it's Welsh, and, you know, I hope it happens, and it might happen, but there's simply not enough investment. Our stuff is made niche. It's, uh, you know, Torchwood goes niche compared to Doctor Who. It's just not fair. And uh, look at the talent here. Look at Alan. And Alan. I mean, Alan was quite a break. It was a breakthrough with the Left Behind. Uh, and that, that's an astonishing piece of work. And was that shown on BBC One? This, did I watch it on BBC Wales? Was it shown on BBC One in the end? I think it was. I think it had a repeat yeah, yeah. later on, yeah. Because it was so good, actually. Yeah, it was excellent. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And we're in danger of being niche, we're in danger of being small, and the work is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Do you know, the other, I think the other thing we're in, in danger of that is happening more and more, which is, is good for the Welsh economy, but that shows are coming and shooting in Wales, but making it look like yeah. America. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, they're using our land and uh, our crew and our actors, but we're making it this homogenized, weird other world of no time and no place and no specificity. Kelly, I think I started that. <laughs> My fault. Your fault. <laughs> Don't do it. It's really paved the way and then they followed and I'm really sorry. I'm not sorry because they're great productions, but you're absolutely right. That's yeah. why we did Doctor Who. That's why I created Torchwood and said it in Cardiff because I was aware that we were doing a show that was doing Mars and Gallifrey and the moon. And there's only so many Welsh actors you could have pop up on Mars or Gallifrey and the moon. So I created <laughs> to keep that going. But uh, without me there, without the Welshman there, I'm sorry, that impetus has died. So, mm. so you're to blame. Yeah. No. Okay, so we've, we've, all, we've all decided that um, Russell's to blame for that particular... Um, yeah, we'll be we'll be writing letters, Russell. We'll be writing letters um, before we go to Q and A because I can't believe how quickly the time has passed. I'd really like to actually, you know, let's. I could talk to all of you about your work endlessly, but I would really like to just talk about the the other things that influence you. So, um, just quickly, it'd be great to know. Like, other than screenwriting, are there any other mediums that you go to to be inspired by? Um, whether that's different types of art forms like manga or, you know, are there anything that, that you, you know you're still carrying and, and they feed your work even though they're not part of it? Can I start with you, Russell? I'm just on television. I'm terrible. It's like, you give me a choice between telly and cinema and I'd rather watch Television, so, um, yeah, I mean, I listen to music and I, I do read books, but, um, oh my God, there's just so much television now. Chris Chibnall said recently, he said, television's now like books. You can't read them all. You can't see it all. There's so much. We have to give up, assuming we can see everything and just, but yeah, TV for me. Nothing else. I just live in a tank full of TV. <laughs> Great. Um, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, I think... Like, I feel really lucky that I get to do this job. So I think it's the same, like I love just like watching telly and I do love reading as well. I read a lot. I think I, I really like a good story. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I wish I had a better answer for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, one thing that certainly influenced us when writing Merche Parches was actually podcasts, um, which I find, I listen to podcasts all the time, I hardly listen to music because the stories that you hear on podcasts can move you, can make you laugh, can make you cry. Um, what we specifically did with Merche Parches was really zoned in on the true crime aspect because I am a bit of, me and Hannah, I'm a bit obsessed with the true crime podcasts, um, but also how sort of that can impact on the way you think after a certain amount of time. Like I, uh, I have to take breaks from listening to, to true crime podcasts because I get scared of my own house, you know? So it's like, okay, maybe I'll listen to a nice comedy podcast for a minute, but certainly podcasts are a big, big thing in my life. Right, Kaylee, what, is there anything that feels like it's still inspiring you in the work that you're doing? Yeah, I'm a improv comedy girl. Um, so I, I do that a lot. I, I, you know, you remain a pupil of it. You're always learning, but you know, outside of Corona times, I'm right of a day and perform of an evening or I'm rehearsing with my team. And it influences my writing so much, my the, the way I shape characters, my approach to story. There's a, um, 
we have a mantra mantra in improv which is fail spectacularly and what that means is come on stage and do the biggest boldest silliest character and it doesn't matter if it falls flat on its face because if you did it with confidence the audience feels safe in your hands and then they can laugh at you if they know you're laughing at yourself and you don't mind looking silly they'll laugh with you and if you fail spectacularly then your teammates can run on stage and make it look like the mistake was on purpose and we'll make a, a gag out of it. Um, so that approaches the way I write. It approaches the way I take notes as well because you become less precious. You go on stage and you make something up and sometimes it works and also just as many times it doesn't work and you learn to go, oh well, doesn't matter. Um, and so now I think as a writer, I take notes quite well because I go, didn't work, ah, I'll try again. Um, and it, it's just, it's changed me as a person um, and it shapes the way I create. And, and if I'm not performing and I'm watching and I'm watching my brilliant peers who are so silly and funny and supportive of one another and you sit down and watch a show and you come out of there itching to create something. Amazing, I, I ha don't know how you have the nerve. I mean, it's, again, I feel this cold <laughs> sweat. <laughs> Like that sounds like my actual living nightmare. So we're quickly running out of time, obviously getting lots of questions in. Um, for anyone who's still sending in questions, please do. You can use the Q&A function on Zoom to do that. But I wanted to start with some of the first ones that are coming in. and. Um, if you just put your hand up, if you think you've got something really exciting to say about a question, that would be great. But the first one, actually, I'd love all of you to answer if possible. Um, what advice would you give a script writer coming into the industry today? Um, and can we start with you, Hannah? Uh, I think uh, pick your battles wisely. Um, like make sure that you know exactly what you want to keep hold of and what you're happy to let go. I think I've learned that the hard way a few times. And Kaylee? Um, I would say books on writing are useful, but they're not as useful as you just writing. Um, and allowing yourself the luxury and the privilege to be really shit at writing. And don't let that um, dampen your confidence because it's fine to be shit at the start and in the middle and, and for a few years after that and keep the faith that you will eventually get good um, and the other thing would be if you have the means to make a short film because you can take things into your own hands then you write yourself a 10 page script if you if you know actors ask them to be in it and feed them a good meal you can film it on an iPhone. And again, it doesn't need to be good, but the act of being on set and hearing your words read and seeing the difficulty of certain scenes and why maybe that wasn't the best thing to write. It just, it's like a masterclass in, in, in writing, is seeing it being filmed. Yeah, I mean, I can, yeah, it's, it's, it, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot that happens in that process, isn't there? Yeah. when you're new to it. Um, Russell, can I ask you yeah. what advice you would give an aspiring writer today? This is not a quick question, but I would. But the advice I found myself giving more often is buy the software, get final draft. I get so many people saying to me, how do I do this? And there's this free software, so look, it's 200 quid. 
Christmas is coming. Get everyone you know to give 10 quid and buy it. I know that's quite expensive. It's not that expensive. And if you're serious, that's like a painter saying, I haven't got any paint. And it's such good software. It just scrolls out for you. So if you're really serious, if you're really serious, you'd have it already. So actually, when people haven't got software, I doubt that they're really proper writers. So I challenge you. There we go. And Marie, any any final thoughts on that, being an aspiring writer? Yeah, I mean, get get the software. That is that is an important one. Um, and so is um, sort of buying books and trying to get to know your craft a bit more. But the main thing I'll say is just start. Sit down and write something. That's the hardest thing, I think, about being a writer is having the discipline to sit down and write it. And not only that, but believing in what you're writing and you know, carrying that through. But yeah, just start, just do it. And the second hardest thing is finish. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> it's like how many unfinished novels are there? Unfinished scripts, it's like get to page 60 and do it. Yeah. Then you're a writer. Yeah, yeah. very, very true. So um We've got about five minutes left and I would love to just, because this is one that comes up, I think pretty much in every, every Q&A, every question is how, you know, what do you do when you get writer's block? Um, can we start with you, Mary? What's the trick? I'm quite lucky I write with my best friend. Um, so when we have writer's block, we usually have a chat. Go on, first. go on, maybe like some news website, see what's going on in the world and then going right and getting back to it. So it's a very difficult um, thing for me to answer because um, I, I, me and Hannah are quite good at being able to pull ourselves out of it. Thank you, Kaylee. I'm very generous with myself and I think pr procrastination is a part of the process. So instead of fighting procrastination, embrace it. And I'll do like, I, I love a menial task, defrost a freezer. Like it's something where you just use your hands and your brain can wander. Um, take the break, I think. And, and that's, everyone has the, a different process, but I'll gladly have four days off in a week if I just, I'm not there. And then I'll do a day of like nonstop writing and know that writing isn't like other jobs where you're physically slacking. The, the work is going to come from your brain and your brain goes with you on the walk, on the bike ride, on the defrost the freezer. And whether you know it or not, subconsciously, it's ticking over. You don't need to feel ashamed of that. So long as you hit your deadlines, I mean, don't become the person who never hits a deadline, but you know, give yourself a break. That's what I think. Perfect. Perfect advice, thank you. Um, Russell, anything to add to that? Perfect advice, I, and go for a walk and have four days off a week, because they're not four days off, you're thinking about it. And as a rule, if you're stuck on page 44, I bet the answer actually is back on page 17. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I was gonna say, um, if you had anything else to add, Hannah, but you know, Mary said you two have each other, so. Yeah, and, and it is right, just like step away, do something else for a minute. I think, yeah, you, you can give yourself too much of a hard time. It's easy to do. Oh, thank you. Chronic. Um, can I say, if you've got chronic writer's block and you're really having trouble with it, I say this to young writers more and more, go and sort yourself out and get some therapy. If you drink too much, 
you're not going to write page scripts for long. You might for a while, but for long. It's it's a job that really involves your brain and your psychology and digging into yourself. It's a very psychological job anyway. If you have problems, you'll bring all the problems. Sometimes those problems will make great scripts, but actually you'll bring it to the deadline, to what sort of person you are to work with, to how you are in a team. And actually, don't be afraid of sorting yourself out. It's a tough job. Be ready for it. Mm. Well, I think that's... An... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was going to say that's a brilliant note to finish on. And then you said we're all nuts, yeah. Russell. <laughs> It's kind of so I think, okay, I will, I will say that's a brilliant note for us to finish on. I'm sorry to all the questions we didn't have a chance to um, answer. Thank you so much to my amazing speakers. Congratulations on all your nominations. Um, thank you to the brilliant audience that have joined us today. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion and make sure you tune in to BAFTA Kimra Awards live stream on Sunday, the 25th of October. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Thank you, and it's a good night. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us, and remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.